Wrestling with my brother. We got a podcast, yeah. Wrestling with my brother. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that does its talking in the ring and it's fighting online. It's wrestling with my brother. I'm a lady on the street and a freak in the bed. I also like that, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was meant to relate to your intro. Just, <laughs> just riffing. Let's just all just come up with some random proverbs, is it? Yeah, if you've got another one to hand, otherwise. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I love that one. Just It's got the word bird, hand, hand, bush in it. It's like the best. <laughs> my three favourite things <laughs> in that order. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm good. Well, you know, we've just had an off-air discussion about my car troubles, uh, costing don't, a lot of money. Yeah, don't bring that shit into this, bro. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a sincere how are you? Yes, it's the podcast host how are you. It's not, I don't want your actual <laughs> life dramas. This is it's the place where fun is made, not fucking car MOT failures. But the good listeners might want to know about my brake pads and discs and suspension springs. Fucking off. I don't care. Then they certainly don't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just a mental, mental, mental week for wrestling. It just feels like this is a prize entrant every bloody week. Well, every hour, to be honest, not every week. I was watching Mick Foley's uh, video, which will date the pod again, but it was today. And he said, uh, WWE, we've got a problem. We should watch it. It's only like a minute and a half. He said, if he was in that becoming wrestler now, then he probably wouldn't go to WWE based on, you know, what they do to emerging talent and just, you know, kick them off NXT before they've even got a chance to go to WWE. And yeah, it was scathing. Okay, well, let's put it into some context for people who might be listening in the future. So we're recording this a couple of days after AEW All Out 2021, in which uh, both... Brian Daniel, son. <laughs> his son. <laughs> Brian Daniel's his son. <laughs> I always get confused with his name because his name is Brian Danielson, and, and then he went by Daniel Brian. So that always confuses me, trips me up a bit. Sorry, before I, I love this little uh, segue, but yeah, there was a thing on Twitter, and he said, I wonder which uh, which name uh, JR's going to give in tonight. And it was loads Daniel Bryan's son, Danielson Brian. <laughs> Dan Bryanson, brilliant. Yeah, and Adam Cole as well, of course, from NXT. And the interesting thing about that is that both of those chose to leave WWE, um, despite being main eventers in their respective promotions relatively recently, and then go to AEW. So that really tells you something about the calibre of talent that AEW is attracting. And again, you know, the fact we talk about it every week, (laughs) AEW, shows that it's just getting... The attention of people you know like us who, who really like wrestling um i can't remember the last time we spoke about anything positive about wwe maybe you know senior returning we mentioned that but when we talk about wwe it's because they've released somebody and we can't believe they've done it yeah exactly i, I even like dynamite it's, it's only two hours it starts pretty much with a match every time, or if not, it's a five-minute promo. There's no stupid storylines or backstage shit or talking for half an hour. And just everyone compares it week after week. Oh, who saw Raw? It wasn't a match until the 45-minute mark. And I'm like, just listen to your audience. They just 
they dig a hole for themselves. Honestly, it, I, I don't even watch it now, but it just sounds like such a, a crap product compared to what it was and what it should be. I, I don't know what they're doing. Well, every time I see a WWE crowd, it's dead. When every time I see an AEW crowd, it's absolutely mad. Yeah. It's... Like it used to be in the Attitude Era, that level of excitement every time, no matter what the match is. It's, it's just so good, honestly. I know you haven't got much time, but if you could just watch an episode of Dynamite or something, it's just it's thrilling, bro. It's thrilling entertainment. Jed Talks has been on again. <laughs> is that a segment later on, or do you want to open up with the Jed Talks? I'll open up with it now. I mean, it's getting that we'll have to create our own jingle before long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on it. <laughs> um, so last week when we talked about the Kenny Omega Christian Cage match and having that kick off the show, he says the reason that Rampage has the big stuff up first is because it's on at 10 p.m. on a Friday night on the East Coast and it's only a one hour show. If it's live, they usually do dark and elevation tapings beforehand, so the crowd have been there a while. Um but either way, the crowd have been there a long time by then. So you know, that's why it gets a huge pop. This is this is really good stuff. He used to just call us out on our uselessness, which is fair enough. You know, I, I like to be called out when I'm wrong. Not by you so much. It was, it was a nice <laughs> nice change to have the, to be called out by someone else. But the fact that he's, he's just sprinkling these little nuggets of information in each episode, I think that's something we, we carry on. He could be like a, a correspondent. Like a, a, a uh, more knowledgeable Chris Kamara. Oh, I don't know, Jeff. <laughs> Someone's pinned someone, is he? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what's that? There's, there's been a submission, has there? Has there? No, no, I thought they were sending a new ref on, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Who? Whose debut? CM Punk, where? <laughs> no, no. I, I'm going to pass his ice cream bar and then I was just eating, Jeff. I didn't even look up. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, right, come on then. Let's just actually start this podcast, is it? Properly. So, yes, let's start with our first feature, which is. Would you rather? My turn this week. Craig, would you rather have your own personal entrance music and pyro go off every time you enter a room? Or have a crowd shout, you fucked up for a full minute every time you make a mistake. <laughs> every room you enter, every time. <laughs> full personal entrance music and pyro. So even if I'm just going for a, a private personal number two. <laughs> whether you are going into a restaurant, whether you're going into a friend's house, whether you're going into a hospital... <laughs> <laughs> or whether you're just going for a shit. Every time you enter a room, you're, you will enter to your own personal entrance music and pyro. Oh, that's going to wear thin, isn't it? Unless it's a really good song. Or the the other option is to have... Well, the, a crowd is going to chant, you fucked up if I fuck up in the ring anyway. Or do you mean in life? In life, I mean, it's just, this is life now. Oh, okay. <laughs> so every time you make a mistake... No matter how big, no matter how small a personal thing, you drop a mug on the floor, you, you know, trip over a curb, you, uh, you know, make a, you fail to indicate on a turning, you do something at work, like you d accidentally delete a file. 
Now, I know exactly where you're going to pick, turning on his head, because you are the, apart from my wife, you are the most clumsy klutz of a man I've ever met and I've ever it, had the pleasure of knowing. It's true. It's damn true. <laughs> you should have made a, a fuck up there. <laughs> it's damn true. Oh, oh, done it again. So, I, I, yeah, to flip on his head, I know you're going with the entrance music. Oh, I'm shaking his head. Oh, I don't know. <sighs> mm. Because if you... What? So, I'm uh, doing a Dara now each week. So a crowd magically appears if I'm in my room on my own and I do a fuck up on my computer. Like, people just pop up from different places? It could be the noise of the crowd, but it'll be the full noise as if they were there, as if an entire <laughs> wrestling crowd was there shouting in unison, you fucked up you f-, for a full minute. And the same with your pyro as well. It wouldn't be just you could hear it on your headphones or something. Everybody yeah. could hear it booming out loud <laughs> with the pyro. Maybe not the pyro that yourself, but the noise from the pyro. So whatever route you enter. <laughs> mm, I think... In other words, you better go to bed before your wife, otherwise she is getting woken up. <laughs> yeah, I go for pisses at random times in the night. I'm getting older now. My blood is not what it used to be. It's going to have to be the you fucked up because... I like to be here. <laughs> what are you laughing so much for? It's obviously not the first one I said. No, but it, it reminds me, and this is totally a coincidence, it just reminds me of um, Bam Margera's dad on Jackass when they kept <laughs> letting off fireworks in his bedroom and his van and stuff. It'd be like that every time. <laughs> Christ, is getting crazy with this shit. <laughs> oh, poor man. He was beating the living daylights out of me. <laughs> Oh God, no! I, I'm going to go with you. Fucked up because I think it would just it would force me in the right direction. You know, if if you delete a file or or send an email too early, and you're like, oh God! But nine times out of ten, the other person's like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, no, it's not fucking fine. So if everyone chanted you fucked up, I think I'd be a little more what's the word <laughs> accountable for my actions. Surprisingly, I agree. Now, you thought it'd be the other way around, but no, my reasoning was exactly the same as yours. I think if I had the fear of a crowd <laughs> chanting, you fucked up at every mistake, I would take extra care over everything. <laughs> I would drive like slower than driving Miss Daisy. I would be fucking careful walking, watching what I'm doing all the time. You know, just to this dread that at any second a crowd could pop up and start shouting at me. Um, Whereas I think your own personal interest, music and pyro, okay, for the first five times you enter a room, you'd be like, yeah, that's so cool. But could you imagine going to see a dying relative in hospital? (laughs) 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 Like you said, every time you go for a piss in the middle of the night, first of all, you go into the bathroom and it is, do it there. That'll wake you up. You're like, oh, fuck. (laughs) And then you go into the bedroom and wake your wife up. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it neither is, is, appealing to be honest imagine yeah visiting your nan in hospital but with the choice that we've made and you accidentally drop your crossroad pen off the side <laughs> she's who fucked up me because i'm in hospital she'd get proper paranoid wouldn't she yeah, yeah but you'd kill a lot of people with suddenly like massively booming entrance music and pyro on a ward could you imagine <laughs> i'm not being nasty but your first month would be fucking hellacious you know that, don't you? Because you can't even get out of bed without banging a thousand things. Yeah, it would be it would be terrible. Did I ever tell you about that <laughs> monumental clumsiness that happened in my kitchen once? 
You did, and I love it, but tell everyone else, please. I opened a cupboard, which was at head height, and it was full of plastic tubs and Tupperware and takeaway containers. And for some reason, well, for, for the fact that I'm, I'm a lazy, clumsy prick, they all <laughs> fell out at once. I mean, like a shower all fell on my head. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, so I was really annoyed. So I, uh, I bent down to, uh, to pick them all up, put them neatly, stood up, forgot that I'd left the cupboard open, smashed my head on the open cupboard door, dropping them all over the floor. So cursing myself once again, did the same thing again, picked them all up, stacked them neatly, lifted up, made sure that I didn't smash my head on the open cupboard, put them in the cupboard, shut it, went to walk off nice and proud of myself, completely (laughs) missing a lid that was left on the floor, see-through lid, stepped on it, slipped, fell head over heels, arse over tit, smashed down on the floor on my back. So I, and that was a very unsuccessful trip to the kitchen. <laughs> I think I, I would have had a full 10 minutes of a crowd shouting you fucked up after that. Yeah, they'd be horse AF by the time you were there. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. So do you think if you'd have done all that and you would have had literally like 10 minutes... <laughs> of people shaming you, you'd you'd think twice about. Well, you probably think twice about going into a cupboard ever again, really, wouldn't you? Certainly would. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather? Oh, amazing! I love I love your little anecdotes. We need more because you said about the yeah, you've pricked yourself with roses and all the stupid, stupid little girly things you've done. Try and compare it to like Nick Gage. Amazing. So anyway, on to onto my first match of the week. This is Malachi Black's AEW debut match. Malachi Black and Cody Rhodes collide. Standing switch. I was talking to a veteran the other day about Malachi Black, and he said he reminded him of some of the attributes of Jake Roberts back in the day. Maybe that lean, the, his frame, his lankiness, but his unpredictability may be as much as anything. Oh! oh. Went for the leg. Yeah, right on the inside there. Yep. Oh, but Cody fires back with a big elbow strike. Went right for the leg like he had talked about. German suplex, Cody. Oh. Yeah, you got to get that, you got to walk that off if you can. Easy for me to say. Oh, nice ankle pick into a knee bar. So... I know uh, this will be a week late, but I'm assuming CM Punk is still undoubtedly the hottest star uh, signed by AEW. Um, but before that pop in Chicago, AEW fans went wild for the debut of Black. So underutilized in both NXT and WWE, shocker alert. Uh, Black seems like the perfect fit for AEW, like you said about Punk. The way you describe Punk is exactly the way I would describe Black. You know, he's got the look. He's got that intensity. He's got the technical flair. Um, and he also nods to his time in WWE with his damaged eye. Do you know about that? Shaking his head. Okay, so uh, so Murphy um, threw him into a set of steel ring steps um, in the WWE, obviously planned, uh, and, and he wore an eye patch. It wasn't like when Kane was burned in air quotes and then he had the one dodgy eye and then all of a sudden both eyes were fine again. He's incorporated it into his gimmick. And even now, if you look at 
Malachi Black's eye. It's kind of blackened and he's got the white eye. So it's a really cool kind of, you know, my eye's actually damaged. So that was really cool. Yeah, so this match took place on Dynamite and what a bloody bout. I, I like the the kind of symbolism in this match. Cody in all white, like the savior in black in all, well, black. Um, those vicious kicks, legs, sweeps and strikes. Obviously that crazy turnbuckle spot through the timekeeper's table. But just the ending, I loved how Cody was seconds away from retiring in the ring, you know, and within the company that he helped build before Black attacks him. You know, this is a great storyline, great drama, awesome contest, good meets evil. And yeah, a brilliant debut. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a very hard hitting match, lots of hard shots kicks and chops especially from malachi black he's quite a vicious looking chap isn't he eh? um i know we criticized jr and aew on his commentary but i thought his observation about black reminding him of jake the snake roberts was spot on um not only his size and shape but also his general demeanor that the way that he wrestles the way that he carries himself in the ring um i thought that was a really really good observation yeah i like the way that black just sat in the ring waiting for cody after he kicked him off the top to him buckle as well yeah. Um, and the end was was quite shocking, you know. Cody Rhodes has been wrestling for a long time. He's not, you know, he's, he's certainly not a superstar, but he knows what he's doing, and you expect him to put up a fight. But just to get kind of kicked in the face and then be pinned by having one foot on the chest um, was was quite shocking for somebody of his stature and his experience. Um, and then how Black just walked off without celebrating. Um, and then, as you said, you know, afterwards, that whole coming back and interrupting the retirement, you know, what a, what a great angle, what, what a great way to further the story. I mean, again, just shows how AEW are building something very special. They care about um, wrestlers, they care about storylines. And I, I think this one could, uh, could probably run and run. It's just not difficult, though, is it? It's not stupid. It's not cartoonish. It's just a really simple story of, you know, a member of the legendary Rhodes family of wrestlers, you know, looking to retire. He's the golden boy of AEW. He really is a kind of blue-eyed boy. And to have this uh, this character come in, even though he's not a heel, like Alistair Black, everyone loves him wherever he goes. So it's just, it's not difficult, is it? But you, you know that a certain billionaire would put him in a, a fire five fun house match or some stupid gimmick, you know, in we're in the bowels of hell about oh, just play it as it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, he was in uh, he was the NXT champion, wasn't he? As Alistair Black, yeah, but you know, even then he was underutilized and just put, I don't know, it. I, I don't know. It, it, they just everything they touch is turned into gold at the minute, and I just hope that they don't get too WCW with their money because I don't think Tony Khan's done with hiring new talent. Even though his roster is bloody jam packed to the rafters, I, I hope he does kind of calm down now and just focus on the, the guys that he's got and and the women that he's got as well. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that difficult when you've got a decent creative team and. You're not doing cartoonish gimmick after cartoonish gimmick. I don't think it needs to be that difficult. We've joked that we could run a wrestling company. It's beyond stressful, but 
you know, from a creative point of view, we could come up with some great, great angles and, and get the right stars in and use them properly as, as a fan, not as a booker. I think it's about having logical storylines. It doesn't matter how out there some of those storylines are, if there's a logical narrative to them, you know, a beginning, a middle and a conclusion. And so many WWE storylines just lack that coherence. You know, they, they'll get dropped mid-story for no reason. And ideas will be abandoned. Um, you know, characters and gimmicks will change for no reason. People will turn face or heel with no justification. And the fans are like, well, why should we invest in this? You know, everything that I've seen from AEW suggests the opposite. They are invested in the talent and they understand the power of long-term storylines and keeping the fans interested in what's going on. And, you know, you talked about the cartoonish gimmicks. Which wrestling company has a, a man who grew up in a jungle uh, accompanied by an actual dinosaur to the ring? <laughs> and yet, in another era, managed in another way, that could be really childish and stupid. But Jungle Boy and, you know, Luchasaurus, uh, Jurassic Express, they're some of the most over-wrestlers in AEW at the moment because of the way that they're being booked and presented. And it is that thing of, you know, wrestling can be outlandish and stupid, but you can suspend your disbelief if the overall quality of the product is strong and, and AEW is. And, you know, I genuinely wish that we could talk about how good WWE currently is on this podcast, as much as we talk about how great it used to be. And as much as we talk about how great AEW is now, unfortunately, they just aren't doing anything that interests or excites me at the moment. Beautifully put that lovely stuff. That was eloquent. Lovely stuff. Not my words, Craig. The words of Shaken Stevens. On to my first clip. This is Taz versus Triple H on WWF SmackDown in the year 2000. Take a look around you, Michael. You see 18,129 people jammed in standing room only here in Philadelphia. Okay, it's champion. Have you ever been to that ECW bingo hall? Not much bigger than a phone booth. I'll tell you this, King. It's champion versus champion, man versus man. No title on the line. This is strictly for pride between Triple H and Taz. So this is a little sequel to a clip that you picked last week in which Taz won the ECW championship from Mike Awesome while he was working for WWE. And as we mentioned on that clip and back in our very first episode, Taz brought the ECW belt with him to the WWE slash F, where he faced Triple H in this champion versus champion match on SmackDown. Now, today, because WWE owns ECW and WCW and has done for many years, it's easy to forget that they used to be separate promotions. And I know WWE was giving ECW some money at the time, and you know, there was a bit of talent sharing going on here and there. But for all intents and purposes, they were rival promotions. So seeing the ECW belt on WWE TV was a landmark occasion, you know, highly unusual. Now, last week we called this a squash match, but actually watching it back, it was less one sided than I remember. Um, Taz actually got a lot more offense in than I, I thought he did. Um, now, ultimately, you know, they were never going to have a rival champion go cleanly over their top guy, even in a non-title match like this. So the finish kind of makes sense in that respect. 
Um, but, you know, they could have had a longer feud with a bit of back and forth rather than this one-off six-minute match, which kind of only really served to bury Taz and ECW. On his podcast, actually, Bruce Pritchard, who was um, in WWE at the time and involved with the booking, said that it made sense to have these two champions face off against each other because it would get the fans excited and, you know, it would answer that what-if question. Um and it, he said it also gave ECW huge national exposure. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's partly true, but if they'd handled it better, and like I said, gone on to have a bit of a feud and then invested in Taz afterwards, maybe it would have paid off. But yeah, what did you think? Exactly the same. Just Yeah, it's just lovely to see the fantastic underutilization of Taz by WWF, there's a theme developing here, and I, I'm exactly the same as you. You've you featured some modern day uh, WWE matches, like with Brock Lesnar particularly, and I've been like, oh yeah, that that was really hard hitting, that was brilliant, and some of the the female wrestlers. As well. Yeah, I, I I wish I could love the product like we loved it back in the day, and I bet millions of other people are thinking the same. Um. But you, you just know Triple H was probably thinking, what have I done wrong to have to fight this extreme munchkin? Because he probably thought, oh, God, I'm like the top, the top of my game, pun intended. And I got this little freak <laughs> from Red Truck section of Brooklyn, New York to kick about. Um, but like you said, this is way more competitive than I remember. Um, I think... I think the fact that it was over way too soon and it was an equally predictable victory in our eyes, that's where we got the squash match kind of thing from. But yeah, it was quite competitive. I thought, oh, it's, this isn't <clears throat> this isn't as, yeah, as bad as I thought. I mean, Taz is super over again. Like now that we're aware of why Taz was basically put on commentary because WWE didn't create that pop, he created it for himself. It's kind of cringeworthy because she's like, oh, Taz, like, you almost want the crowd just to be subdued for him so that they can build him up and then he would have made more of himself. But he was just super over. Um, and that's the reason why they didn't want to push him, really. I, you know, I, I know he's reinvented himself in WWE and TNA and now AEW as a colour commentator and manager. But I just think it's a huge waste of his talents. Like, he brought that big fight atmosphere to his matches and you know you've watched the rise and fall of ECW and heard Heyman kind of talk about the emergence of UFC and this big fight atmosphere um and you know he wanted to bring that to ECW and, and that's what WWE could have capitalized on they had it there he brought the big fight atmosphere to WWF and they didn't they didn't do anything with it I, I don't even think he's very good on the mic to be honest most of the time he trips over his words and as a singer, I mean, he's even worse. <laughs> I loved your soundbite last week. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I really did think he was a, a force to be reckoned with. And he had the right gimmick. Um, was it you or did I read somewhere that he said, oh no, I think it was an interview where he said, look, I, I even had a catchphrase. Beat me if you can, survive if I let you. Oh, it's made. It's got the orange 13, you know, the towel on the head. He did loads of stuff differently. He just wasn't used, was he? No, and it's strange because at some point they must have just gone off him to give him a debut at the Royal Rumble, one of their flagship pay-per-views, and then a victory over one of their fast-rising stars and, you know, an Olympic gold medalist with a freaking broken neck. 
um, <laughs> it shows that they had f- big plans for him. You know, they could quite easily have debuted him on Raw or SmackDown or even Sunday Night Heat or one of the other shit shows <laughs> and kind of, you know, had him in a couple of smaller feuds, but they launched him onto the stage, you know, on the national stage. It was uh, somewhere along the line. They just lost interest. I don't know why. Maybe just Vince, you know, he was enamoured by him at first and then just couldn't be bothered. But I think it could have been easy to see how he could have been booked among that top echelon of uh, WWE stars in the day, you know, despite his size. Well, because of his size, they could have said, God, he's so dangerous for such a small guy, you know. They could have really capitalised on that. And he did have a different look to everybody else because even though he was small, he was stocky and and tough. You know, he wasn't a Lucha Libre small guy. He didn't fit into that mould. Maybe that's, that's what it is. They couldn't pigeonhole him into any one thing. But anyway, I think it's just a wasted opportunity. And again, the fact that he was so over and could perform you know, with the big boys, just makes it even more of a shame that they didn't capitalise on it. Uh, I know. <clears throat> but it goes back to what Foley was saying. If that was now, you'd go, well, screw this. I'll go over to AEW. I've got the right attitude, the right look and fit. My schedule will be a lot less. There's only like four pay-per-views a year as opposed to one a month. I'm not going to get burnt out through injury and just fatigue on the road. I'll have a lesser schedule and we built up to be an absolute beast. So, you know, it's a shame that they didn't have that alternative back then. Otherwise, it's to the indies and places like Ring of Honor and uh, that's about it, really, TNA um, as well. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's probably his last. I feel, I feel like we've really focused on Taz's career. Like, we had his his debut, then that weird match in ECW against Awesome, then this match, it kind of feels like those three matches were the only three good matches he had under Vince's control, and then it was just kind of downhill from there. What Was it the next Rumble when he was thrown out after like 10 fucking seconds? Pathetic, really. Yeah, yeah he came in, I think Kane lifted him to the top turnbuckle and threw him out, with, and he was there all of 10 seconds. Um, I mean, he, he did win championships. He was the hardcore champion, although that was in the 24-7 rules. So I don't think he had a decent run with it. And I think he was tag champion as well, eventually, with um, Spike Dudley. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't won the hardcore championship. Tory Wilson won the hardcore championship. It's, that that wasn't... And we've talked about that as well in previous podcasts, how people like Van Damme and Dreamer and Raven and Rhino really kind of added more prestige to that championship because it was just a joke we you know Al Snow was getting thrown in rivers and, and the goofy gimmicks with the with the ball pools. So yeah, but he, he deserves a lot more. Even if he was just a solid mid-carder, you know, a few intercontinental runs and yeah, it's just just a shame. Uh I've consulted uh Ian Google and he says that Spike Dudley and Taz won the tag team championships on January the 7th 2002 after beating the Dudley boys in a hardcore match they lost it just over a month later to Billy and Chuck so yeah I mean even putting in with Spike Dudley I mean I I love Spike I love an underdog but 
who are you like they they say like who you choose to have around you as friends says everything you need to know about you as a person so everyone you team with says everything about how the the management feel about you as a wrestler and you billion chat come on but yeah we could we could go on about taz till we're uh right in the face let's talk about another ecw alumni instead segue Oh, have you wanted to feature this for a while? What a bloody mental moment in wrestling this is. So this is the three faces of Foley. Whoa, that's a hard few words to say. At the 1998 Royal Rumble. And we're getting right down to the nitty gritty. Who's number 28? The luck of the draw has everything to do with this. Foley's baby boy is pulling a triple header. Somebody knock his head off. Oh, Mick Foley. I just love the guy. I just love everything about him. I even love that he loves Christmas. Right the way down to his choice of seasons. Just everything about the man. I love his books. And and I love, well, most of his incarceration. In Oh, what's the word? Incarceration? No. He wasn't in jail, was he? <laughs> What's the words? Incarnations, got it, nailed it. <laughs> that was a flower. So, yeah, he starts off as number one in the Rumble as Cactus Jack, my favourite alter ego. And uh, not only is this creative and unheard of, but I think it just shows Foley's like unbelievable resilience because, you know, doing a Rumble match is hard enough. You've got all these guys, like a dude's, like the um the broken skull sessions, you know, with, with Stone Cold. And he says, it's not, it's not an easy match at all. You can't script it apart from the big spots because you've got 100 men, you know, whatever, beating you over the head, 30 men. Um, but uh, next he comes out as Mankind and beats Terry Funk, or should I say Chainsaw Charlie, out of his jeans. Pull up your trousers off, man. Oh, come on. And we could literally just ride this and utilization wave until we're on the shore. But you got a hardcore legend in Terry Funk. He's won every bell, traveled the world, a megastar in Japan. What should we do with him? Oh, we'll give him denim dungarees and put a fucking stocking on his head. <laughs> what are you doing? I give him a gimmick with a chainsaw. Uh, but then he comes out as Dude Love, which is a nod, obviously, back to Foley's first character when he used to dive off his pants' roof onto a mattress. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought this was brilliant. It's so clever. And, and the crowd reaction each time. I wonder when they saw Mankind, do they think, oh my God, are we going to get the trifecta? Just to sign off, really. I love JR's amazing, unintentional innuendo. <laughs> Mrs. Foley's baby boy is pulling a triple header. Ooh, eh. Easy. No, it was such a good idea to have uh, all three of his alter egos in the in the rumble. I loved it. It's a wonder that they haven't done it since with another wrestler who's had like a couple of distinct identities. I guess that, you know, they're less keen to draw attention to previous gimmicks, especially if they've been kind of classed as a failure. But, you know, it's it's such a good idea. Why couldn't they have a wrestler come in in one persona, get thrown out and then come in in, a, in another persona like a couple of wrestlers later? It's... You know, this was long enough ago for it to be 
still interesting and exciting. I suppose the closest that we've got to anything like that was a Firefly Funhouse match at last year's Mania, where we saw the old incarnations of Cena. Yeah. Um, but even then, it was still John Cena. It was just what he used to look like. But yeah, I thought that would be uh, quite a good idea to repeat. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not much to say about it other than, you know, this was uh, kind of the beginnings of the Attitude Era, some of the odd personalities in that ring, some of whom I didn't even recognise. Others would kind of obviously go on to become huge, like Stone Cold. Others, uh, you know, just disappear without a trace. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. When you, <laughs> you said about Chainsaw Charlie being uh, knocked out of his jeans, so does he ever keep his clothes on in a match? Because he was uh, choke-slammed out of his trainers in the Hell in the Cell match, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he is wild. I love funk. Oh my god, it, it's really sad. He, he's he's very very ill at the minute, and uh, that's really sad to see because you know he, he's basically got a name for himself as being one of the oldest wrestlers. But looking at him now, like you know, back in the day when he was 50s, 60s, mid 60s, he didn't look it. But now you're thinking, oh god, it goes back to what we were saying before about like seeing the heroes age, and you're like, oh, that's really sad. By fucking wild. See some of his matches back in the day. He's so believable. He's one of Mick's favourite wrestlers because nobody can make you believe in wrestling more than Funk. Every punch he throws. Wild. Then you see him in Japan. He, he only has to hold up one chair. The entire Japanese audience just flees stadiums and he's just causing riots. He's, he's, he's brilliant. I was trying to have a look and see who the entrants were in that Royal Rumble because... There were some some randoms who I don't recognise. So you had Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie, Tom Brandy, no, The Rock, Mosh, Phineas I. Goodwin, Eight Ball, Bradshaw was there, Owen Hart, Steve Blackman, Dealer Brown, Kurgan, I remember him, Mark Miro and Ken Shamrock, Thrasher. Oh, they were the yeah, Mosh yeah, and Thrasher, weren't they? Yeah, they were the headbangers. That's it. Mankind. The artist formerly known as Gold Dust, Jeff Jarrett, Honky Tonk Man, Ahmed Johnson, Mark Henry, Skull, um, Karma Mustafa, Stone Cold, Henry O. Godwin. Oh, the Godwins. I do remember those now. Um, Savio Vega, Farouk, Dude Love, Chains and Vader. So, yeah, there were a couple of very, uh, very obscure and random wrestlers in there. Yeah. <laughs> wonder where they all are now. Probably jumping off Mick Foley's parents' roof just for $10. Oh, right. Okay. So Tom Brandy uh, was known as Johnny Gunn in ECW. Does that ring a bell? Johnny Gunn. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> no, he didn't even make an impression in ECW. Never mind. At least Foley made an impression in all three promotions with three gimmicks. Amazing. Lovely stuff. Oh, yeah. So, on to my final clip. This is Medusa binning the WWF Women's Championship belt on WCW Nitro in 1995. I am Medusa, always have been Medusa, and always will be Medusa. This is the WWF Women's Championship Whoa. belt. Whoa! Wait a minute, what? Look. That indeed it is. That is a trash can. 
And that's what I think of the WWF Women's Championship belt. This is the WCW. I am now in the WCW. And they used to call me a Lunder Blaze, but not anymore. Because this is where the big boys play, and now this is where the big girls play. So I've picked a few of these uh, iconic moments in wrestling history in recent weeks. Um, Alundra Blaze, as she was called, had left WWF for WCW, um, who, of course, were bitter rivals at the time. And she turned up and dumped the WWF Women's Championship belt in a trash can. I mean, I can't believe the level of disrespect shown to the belt. You would never see me treating my belt with such contempt. I love you. I love you, belt. Ironically, didn't you get it from a bargain bin? (laughs) (laughs) It's called B&M, Craig. (laughs) B&M bargain bin, sorry. (laughs) Give it its full name. Um, And of course, uh, this was the incident that indirectly caused the Montreal screw job. Um, So Vince was so furious that his belt had been taken to a rival promotion and disrespected live on national TV that when Bret Hart was leaving for WCW and had refused to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels beforehand um, because he was in his hometown, you know, he feared that he might do the same. And that thinking led him to, uh, to the screw job. What I love about this clip in particular is that Bobby Heenan looks genuinely shocked and is speechless for the first time in his career. Now, I've got to read from this passage in Eric Bischoff's book, um, because it's just classic. Um, In his book, Controversy Creates Cash, Eric Bischoff, who'd coerced Medusa into this stunt, said, to people outside the wrestling business, it was just another stunt. To people inside the wrestling business, it was sacrilege. Denigrating someone else's belt on national television was about as low a blow as you could ever deliver. If I'd have thought about it a little bit more... I probably would have put the title on a fat little midget and called it the other championship, but I didn't think of it at the time. Damn it. <laughs> oh, he's a ruthless son bitch, isn't he? Oh, that's brilliant. No, I mean, this was a, a fantastic shock moment uh, back in the day, similar to the, the Shane Douglas clip that you picked, you know, he's disrespected the NWA title in ECW. So, um, yeah, we, we've talked a lot uh, over the past few weeks about, you know, interpromotional bouts and strange circumstances, shocking betrayals as wrestlers jump ship, still holding their titles. And, you know, this is another great kind of example of that. Uh, <laughs> and I wrote down here before you read that passage that it was an angle that, you know, Bischoff was salivating over because, you know, he was not shy about trashing WWE and you know, spoiling things because he was live and they were taped and just really bashing their name on, on live TV. How he got away with it, I have no idea. But this must have felt really empowering to shit all over the biggest wrestling company in the world when you know, you know, there are other companies that you can join. I mean, it was pretty much WWF or WCW back in the day, but knowing that you could go to the other big company and kind of burn your bridges to a certain degree, it, it must have been must have been a brilliant feeling. That that's why I kind of question Vinnie Max decisions, you know, in other pods and this pod. Just what could he have done to keep her? Why did she leave? And you know, was it all about money? I I feared the the schedule's a lot lighter in WCW and. Or should I say the schedule is just crazy in, in WWE and everyone else kind of is a lot more relaxed with it, I suppose. But 
Yeah, another another shocker moment, bro. Yeah, it was, and uh, she was blacklisted by WWE for uh, more than twenty years after this. They they didn't want anything to do with her. I mean, thankfully now they've put the past behind them, and she was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame a few years back. I think, um, if I remember rightly, there was a, a little nod to that. Somebody brought out a trash can. Whoever was inducting her brought out a trash can and, and fished the belt out of the bin. Oh. Maybe that's a clip we could pick on a, another pod. But yeah, that, I thought it was, a, it was a good little flashback. And uh, it, it is good to, to know that ultimately Vince McMahon doesn't seem to hold grudges. You know, he's built bridges with people like Alundra Blaze slash Medusa, with Jeff Jarrett, you know, with Bret Hart, people who before, you know, that he, he wouldn't wanted anything to do with after they left. And, and you know, took themselves uh, elsewhere and then, you know, shit on his promotion. But I suppose that's one good thing to say about him if we spent the rest of the episode slagging him off. But, um, he knows the power of nostalgia. There's nothing to do with rebuilding bridges. You know, he's bringing back these stars 20 years down the line would have a huge pop and a, and a boom in sales. Don't make him all sentimental now. Oh, no, I'm not saying there's anything in it other than money, but he's sensible enough to know when something is going to make money and to not let, you know, the past dictate, you know, what happens. He's welcomed people back into the fold who've actively, you know, campaigned against him because he knows he can make money off it. There are people that are so stubborn in life that they wouldn't even, you know, do that, even if it's a short way to make money. So you've got to give him credit for that. I'm not saying that he does it at the goodness or the kindness of his heart, but when it comes to business, he he knows a good opportunity. But um, yeah, it is right though what you said and in the title of Eric Bischoff's book, you know, Controversy Creates Cash. He was all about that controversy. Whatever he could do to get WCW... The name out there, you know, whether it would be um, attacking the opposition or, you know, pulling these stunts or stunt hiring of, you know, famous people, celebrities, you know, sports stars. I mean, you know, William the Refrigerator Perry just turned up on this clip after Medusa. We didn't even mention that. So that is a way of bringing eyes into the product from elsewhere, you know, American football fans and the general kind of sports fan. And he was. Up for all those sorts of things and I think it ultimately helped might help wrestling because you know these two massive companies competing against each other and just trying to outdo one another in terms of shock value and stuff maybe we'll see a return of that now with AEW maybe WWE will up their game I can't I can't hold out much hope for it but you never know no and I think that's that was the undoing of WCW because Yes, he needed to create that buzz at the start and get Hogan in and Savage and a bit of an FU to WWE and, you know, trash him a few times on TV. Then the NWO happened and his podcast now, I can't remember how many weeks it is, but his podcast, Bischoff's, is called the amount of weeks that he was on top in the ratings war. Okay, well then you're on top. Don't worry about the competition. Build your brand from there now that you are on top. You've done the hard work. Stop burying the competition and almost forget they're there and carry on. I think the WCW would have had a much better shot, but he was ATM Eric. And yeah, he just he was just obsessed with taking them down. It's it's good. Competition is good and it's healthy, but when you're on top. To stay there, you have to then forge your own path instead of right now. What we now, what can we do to shit on them even more? It's like, no, you've done it now, you've done it, you've hit them where it hurts. Just ride that wave now. I think that's that's the main thing you needed to reel in, but he wouldn't listen to me. 
So, yeah, well, it's, it's essentially what we're doing now with this podcast, isn't it? What? Letting Riding know. our own wave. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as we come to the ending, I've got a little challenge. Oh. I thought, let's jazz these endings up a bit because we either kind of lose a bit of energy and momentum at the end and go through the, the usual rigmarole. Sometimes I get angry at people for not interacting with us or whatever. I thought with your love of doing the occasional voice on here, your impersonations, you could do the outro each week in the style of a wrestler of my choosing. So, or somebody associated with wrestling, because this week I'd like you to do it in the style of 1980s Vince McMahon on commentary. <laughs> yeah, please pick ones that you know. There's about five that I'm quite good at. Don't pick. Oh, yeah. We're set for the next five weeks. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Next week, May Young. <laughs> Don't give me ones that I don't. I just have a shitty American accent. Okay, this has been Wrestling with my brother. We are a weekly podcast where we post clips about our favorite wrestling matches. I've been Craig, and my host is my brother, Darren. You can find us on Twitter at Russell Bros Pod. So until next week, please stop making me do these impressions. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Wrestling with my brother. We got a podcast, yeah. Wrestling with my brother. 